listening to another episode of the Bible Podcast. Today we're going to be reading chapters 1 through 4 in the book of Joshua. We're going to start a new book today. Um, The book of Joshua is about the Israelites conquering the promised land under Joshua's leadership. Um, Obviously the the writer of the book of Joshua, Joshua himself. Some scholars say that he may have been, he may have it uh, arranged to be written, but um, we all believe it was Joshua who actually wrote this book. Um, this book takes place around 1300s BC, and it fits right into, um, in the Bible, it, it goes right after the death of Moses um, as the people of Israel enter and begin to conquer the promised land. Um, Joshua is an excellent role model for us. His relationship with his people was based on his relationship with God. He wasn't shy about being in charge, but he wasn't in it for personal glory or power. God had placed him in that position, so he worked at it with all his strength. Joshua led a focused life. When focused with choices, he didn't have to think about whether he would obey God. He'd already decided that long ago. And he didn't change his mind when challenges came. God wanted us, God wants us to be that focused today. He wants us to be able to say from the depth of our hearts, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. All right, so we'll get right into chapter one. The Lord's charge to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you that I pro- what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south of the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. I will give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Joshua's charge to the Israelites. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, Go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, Remember that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God has given you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has given the rest, given you rest. And until they, too, possess the land the Lord your God is giving them, only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land of Moses, in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. They answered Joshua, We will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders, does not obey your words and everything you command, will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. Here in chapter 1, in the first uh, few verses, Joshua may have been devastated by the death of Moses, a close friend, mentor, and father figure. But he was immediately thrust into a leadership role for which he undoubtedly felt unworthy and unprepared. How could Joshua ever fill the shoes of the man who had talked to God face to face? Joshua dared not show fear before the people, or they would have lost confidence in his ability to lead them to victory. He needed to demonstrate a bold obedience to God's commands in order to ensure success. Joshua was able to do this because he was willing to seek God and surrender to him. In verses 10 through 15, in, this, in his new role as commander-in-chief of Israel's army, Joshua commanded his subordinates to prepare the people for the new and difficult venture that lay before them. He then reminded the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh of their promises to Moses to fight side by side with their fellow Israelites until all the land had been conquered. Joshua was understandably concerned to find out whether they would stand with the main body of the people or defect from them. If they defected, war might have broken out, or at the very least, discouragement might have set in among the rest of the people of Israel. We need to continue to guard ourselves against discouragement as well, so that our spiritual growth will not be stifled. Chapter 2, Rahab Protects the Spies Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. 
So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, Some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, or they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk, as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sahan and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer you, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep your prom, keep our promise, and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days after the men searching for you. <laughs> then, when they have returned, you can go your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come to the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will be it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside the house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by the oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. So here in chapter 2, um, in verses 1 through 7, we see that Joshua wisely determined to discover the strength of his enemies 
the people of the city of Jericho before setting out to encounter them in battle. Rahab, a prostitute and citizen of Jericho, also made a wise decision when she took a stand for the God of Israel by assisting and protecting the spies sent by Joshua. Rahab displayed courage when she turned away from the security and praise of the world she knew and risked following the true God, of whom she knew little. It always takes courage to make changes in our lives, especially when those changes take us into the unknown. Rahab willingly surrendered to the God of Israel. She and her people saw no way of escape from the certain doom that was coming. Instead of making a futile attempt to escape, Rahab sought mercy from the only source of help available. We too must recognize that we cannot escape God's impending judgment of our sin. Our only hope is to seek mercy from God, who is more than willing to grant this through His Son, Jesus Christ. Rahab completed her task of helping the spies by providing them with a rope, a window hidden from sight, and a plan for their safe return to their people. The spies, in turn, established the ground rules of responsibility for Rahab and her family. They outlined the specific requirements of the relationship and the rewards for success or punishments for failure. Rahab is an excellent example of how God can use each of us, no matter how terrible our past or how unworthy we may feel. Over the centuries, <clears throat> an amazing variety of colorful, colorful characters have played important roles in God's redemptive drama. One of them was a prostitute named Rahab, who provided much-needed help to Joshua and the Israelites on their way into the Promised Land. Joshua had sent two men to the city of Jericho to gather intelligence when their mission grew dangerous. The spies hid out at the house of Rahab, who had heard rumors about Israel and Israel's God. We are all afraid of you, she told the men, recounting how God had saved the Israelites from Pharaoh and guided their path ever since. The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and earth below. When the king of Jericho sent agents to Rahab's house to find the spies, Rahab hid them on a roof and then lied to the king's men, saying that, the two Israelites had left long ago. Then she let the men down through a window in the city wall so they could go out and continue their mission. Prostitutes with hearts of gold have been a staple of novels and movies for centuries. The reality, of course, is that sex workers are normally a rough bunch. In the face of nighty exploitation and abuse, they develop a hardness of soul. Rahab, however, showed that her heart was open to God. Unlike others in Jericho, 
who merely saw the Israelites as military opponents. Rahab perceived the people who had been uniquely chosen by God. She chose to help them at great personal risk. For this, she was given a place in the ancestry of the Messiah and a citation in the Faith Hall of Fame. By faith, Rahab rose above her background and ended up playing a key role in the history of God's people. Chapter 3 The Israelites crossed the Jordan. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from the positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance before you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, Today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you, just as you, just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord and the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, (coughs) and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above the point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below the point flowed on, to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed. As the people passed by, they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Chapter 3, in verses 1 through 6, we have to remember that these were anxious times for Joshua and uh, 
and the people. They set out on their trek to the promised land, but then had to let, had to delay their entrance into the land for three full days while their leaders gave them instructions. Those instructions dealt with both the physical and spiritual realms. The people were commanded, one, to remain approximately half a mile behind the Ark of the Covenant when the priests carried it, and two, to dedicate themselves to God. <clears throat> no doubt, it was a as difficult then as it is now to follow God's plan rather than rebel and go our own way. In verses 17, uh, verses 7 through 14, God would drive out the enemies of Israel if the Israelites were obedient to him. Furthermore, in order for the people to see the power of God at work, the priests, acting by faith, had to carry the Ark of the Covenant and step into the Jordan River. Would God leave Joshua looking foolish, or would God act in the way he had promised? Joshua did not doubt God, and had the priests stand in the river. The Jordan River was at flood stage and hence extremely dangerous if not impossible, to cross without God's help. Often God places us at a point where we must either stand for Him or show that we don't really trust Him. If we trust in God, we can be sure that He will never disappoint us. Chapter 4 Memorials to the Jordan Crossing when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men so he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, Go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the Ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and instructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they were there to this day. The priests who were, were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. 
Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed, and when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the Ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle, and the Lord was with them as they crossed over the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of the Israelites, and for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord had said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the twelve stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future of your future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you could tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea. Then he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. So here in chapter 4, the priests, as as we saw, faithfully remained standing in the riverbed until the entire nation of Israelites had crossed into the promised land. Joshua, at the command of God, had sent twelve men back to the place where the priests were standing. Those men were to collect one stone per tribe to set up as a memorial that would remind them, their children and their children's children, of what God had done on their behalf as they moved into the promised land. The stones would serve as a visible reminder of God's great power, should the people ever become discouraged when they faced powerful enemies in the future. As God grants us maturity in our spiritual journey, we ought to establish reminders or monuments of God's presence with us. Joshua took a direct interest in remembering the greatness of God and honoring the faith of the priests by personally erecting the permanent memorial in the middle of the riverbed. And at the end of the crossing, God God raised Joshua to new status in the eyes of the people. He was honored in the same way that his predecessor, Moses, had been. Sometimes it helps to commemorate events in which God provides a way when everything appeared hopeless. Then we can reflect on our monuments to God's faithfulness when we encounter times of doubt. Israel's leaders set up a monument to God at Gilgal with the stones from the Jordan River. 
Joshua explained that this would serve as a reminder of the miracle God had done, the drying up of the flooded Jordan River. This miracle was reminiscent of the way God delivered Israel 40 years earlier when he let his people cross the Red Sea on dry ground. We must remember that God is all-powerful and cares for us. Knowing that God has rescued us in the past can help us trust in his ability to save us today. So today we step into the first of the history books. And while they do reveal history, their primary goal is to reveal God. Keep looking for him. Both God and the Israelites tell their new leader, Joshua, to be strong and courageous as they prepare to enter Canaan. He reminds the Transjordan tribes that they still have to cross the Jordan and fight for the land like all the other tribes. And then they can come back east and live in the pasture lands they asked God for in Numbers chapter 32. Joshua sends two spies to Jericho, the first city across the Promised Land's border. It likely has a double wall, and it's common for poor people like Rahab to build their homes in the narrow space between the two walls. The spies have two main goals here, stay safe and get a good view of the city's layout. What better place to accomplish both goals than a rooftop on the edge of the city? Some scholars think that They're at Rahab's house for reasons that aren't honorable, but others say it's locationally strategic move. Some historical texts suggest Rahab also ran a hotel of sorts, so that could be why they're there. Scripture doesn't give any reason to think they have ill intentions, and we know scripture isn't afraid to tell us ugly truths. Even though Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute, she fears Yahweh. She seems to have a real faith in him and knows what he's capable of. She's heard stories of what he did hundreds of miles away, 40 years earlier, how he had led them across the Red Sea on dry land. She's praised twice in scripture for living out her faith. Hebrews 11.31 and James 2.25 and she's included in the genealogy of Jesus. Her knowledge of Yahweh prompts radical loyalty to him. She hides the spies and lies to the king's men about their location. They make a deal with her for saving their lives. When they conquer Jericho, she'll throw a red rope out of the window so they can easily identify her home and spare her family. Remember this moment. We'll encounter lots of wartime language where God tells Israel to destroy all the people in the land of Canaan. And it's important for us to remember that God is not calling for genocide or ethnic cleansing. This is for, this has nothing to do with their ethnicity and everything to do with the fact that they're adulterers who participate in atrocities like child sacrifice. 
God is bringing judgment on their sins, but he's always willing to spare the repentant. Anytime someone repents, they're kept alive and welcomed among the Israelites. God isn't calling for the wholesale slaughter of Canaanites. The text shows us obvious exceptions, and Rahab and her family are among them. These spies believe God's promise. They say, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithful with you. Chapter 2, verse 14. Not only do they believe God will bless them, as he said, but they are already planning on paying that blessing forward. When they give Joshua the good news, he rallies everyone across into the promised land. They come to a river, but this isn't the first river crossing rodeo. The last time they had crossed a body of water, God stopped the water before they entered. But this time, the water doesn't stop until they step into it. Walking with God requires increasing amounts of obedience and trust. As they cross over, God calls them a nation for the first time, fulfilling his promise from Genesis 12, verse 2. Then he has them set up 12 stones, one for each tribe. These stones serve as a reminder for their children and all the people of the earth. The miracle of God's provision for Israel is an invitation to all people to know and fear him. God repeatedly tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, but every time God gives this command, he proceeds or follows it with the promise that he'll be with him. Strength and courage aren't things we muster on our own. It's not a it's not just a mental pep rally or mindset we meditate our way into. True strength and courage come through being mindful of God's presence in our lives. He never asks us to do things on our own. His nearness is what equips us to obey. He never asks us to be our own strength or provision. He provides all he requires of us. He's where the strength is, he's where the courage is, and he's where the joy is. And today's daily devotional, I want you to be all mine. I am wearing you from other dependencies. Your security rests in me alone, not in other people, not in circumstances. Depending only on me may feel like walking on a tightrope, but there is a safety net underneath. The everlasting arms, so don't be afraid of failing. Instead, look ahead to me. I am always before you, beckoning you on one step at a time. Neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from my loving presence. Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I hope you all have a great day and God bless each and every one of you.